So we're focusing on um, prayer, but as we get started this morning, I want to give you a pop quiz, okay? I want to see if any of you know where this is, and if so, do you regularly spend any time there? So to do that, I want you to find someone in front of you, to the side of you, behind you. You've got 20, 25 seconds to see, do you know where this is, and if so, how often do you go there? All right, you've got five seconds left. All right, anybody think they know or think they had a group member that knows where this is? Florida. It's not Florida. Anybody have a second guess? She nailed it. Yes. It is the Jericho Center Pond, Bog, Marsh, whatever you want to call it. Um, how many of you have, have been there? How many of you regularly spend time there? Maybe not so much. Right? You probably have come through Jericho Center. If you're here today, you're, you know, you've been to Jericho Center at least once. Some of you may drive through Jericho Center um, routinely during your weekly commutes. But it's entirely possible that you weren't even aware that there was an entire wetland about probably 300 meters that direction, just immediately behind the country store. There are trails back there. There's a whole wilderness area that you can explore. Um, but there don't happen to be any signs marking the trail. So you kind of have to know about it to know about it. I like to think of it as Jericho Center's best kept secret. And actually, I think New England is full of these little out of the way places that, that you have to know about to, to get to. But once you're there, there are these incredible treasures right, that you can explore. This particular pond is, is so sort of tucked away that most of us that even know about it can forget it's there. I sit over here in my church office Monday to Thursday most weeks, writing emails, getting the sermon ready, taking phone calls, having appointments with people. And I, I'm usually you know, pretty consumed with those tasks. But every so often in the midst of all the, the things I have to do, I'll remember that there's this incredible, beautiful place literally across the street from my office. And I'll take 15 minutes, let's say, and I'll go for a walk through, through the, the pond, the bog area back there. And it's incredible how quickly, just even in three or four minutes, my demeanor, my affect, my, my feeling about life and all the things that I'm doing can change just by, by slowing down that little bit. There are all these, these tall grasses full of birds in the summer. There's um, heron that are back there that you might see beaver. When I was back there this week, there was a whole flock of geese that had just landed um, on the pond. And it's, it's incredible. It's this place teeming and full of life, but also full of solitude and, and quiet and peace. And whenever I get back from one of those 15-minute walks, I always ask myself, why, why don't I do this more often? Why don't I come here more often? It's, it's literally, it takes me you know, maybe three or four minutes to get there from my office. But I never, never seem to get over there. A month, two months goes by sometimes before I go back. How could such a, an encouraging and life-giving and renewing place be so easily neglected or forgotten. I wonder if, if that place is a sort of 
parable or, or analogy for prayer in our lives? Is it possible that prayer is this kind of place for most of us? Is it, is it one of the better kept secrets of the Christian life? Right, we, we've come to faith. If we have a relationship with God, we get connected to the church. And we have all of these things that keep us busy. Right? We have plenty of, of tasks and projects and engagements. Plenty to do in our Christian life. But we can, we can become so busy that we forget right here right in the middle of our, our daily rush, is a place that God has designed to be with us. A place God has designed to, to slow us down a little bit, maybe. A place God has designed to connect with us, to refresh us, to renew us. But that place is, is just out of the way enough, just, just hidden enough that it takes at least a little bit of intentionality to get there. You have, you have to stop and decide you want to be there. And so sometimes days or weeks or months can go by without a visit to that place. My hope is that as we start into this, this series on prayer, that we're maybe beginning to reframe how we think about that space in our life. I don't, I don't want you to feel like the next nine or ten weeks is, is all about a how-to or, or a should, or an ought to. My hope is, is that you begin to discover prayer as a place you want to get back to. Prayer as a, a place that you start to say, man, why, why don't I come here more often? A place of, of renewal, a place of refreshing, a place that is both vibrant and full of life, but serene, and quiet, full of peace. And a place that, that is always available for us to discover more of. So as we, we start into this series, um, maybe that's a, a bigger picture, a bigger metaphor to, to keep in the back of your mind. This morning, though, I want to talk about how we, we maybe take our first steps toward it, toward that, that place of discovery, and also maybe some of the things that get in the way. So let me, let me pray for us as we, we open up. God's word together. Jesus, you are our good shepherd, and you desire that we would lack no good thing. And one of the greatest gifts you've given us is to bring us to green pastures and to cause us to lie down there, to lead us beside quiet waters. Because Jesus, you desire to refresh and renew our souls. And so I, I pray that you would lead us deeper into a life of prayer, to connect us to that renewing and restoring work you desire to do day in and day out. Lord, may you use the, the power of your word and the, the revelation of, of who you are over centuries uh, of walking with your people. Or would you use that to build us up today with the words of my mouth, with the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. As Tyler Statton in uh, our book, Praying Like, uh, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, says in chapter one, 
it's entirely possible for Christians to spend years, maybe even decades of their lives, mostly limiting their experience of prayer to sitting in pews like these. Right? And, and assuming that most of, of praying happens either on a Sunday morning or, or even requires professionals like pastors or deacons or, or elders to master the lingo and the mechanics of prayer. Right? That there's, there's a lot of how-to that maybe the average, average Joe doesn't have access to when it comes to prayer. Some of us aren't sure how to talk to God. Some of us, maybe when we express ourselves to God, aren't sure if God talks back. And if he does, how, how would we know that we're hearing God's voice? Maybe when you think of prayer, you think about being asked to pray in, in public and, and how insecure or anxiety-ridden that experience can be for some of us. So maybe the idea of prayer, rather than giving you peace, you know, sort of stokes these, these uh, feelings of, of insecurity or has other things attached to it. There are all, all kinds of things that can keep us from praying or interfere with, with prayer being accessed like, like that walk in, in a beautiful place with the God who created us that we spoke about a few moments ago. But I think when, when we find ourselves struggling to get there, maybe it's because, as Tyler Staten says in his book, we've made prayer into something we can't do rather than something we can do. Right, we've, we've made a whole la- list of, of prerequisites that we assume sort of need to be in place before we can, we can take that first step of connection. I love the, the quote he shares from C.S. Lewis in chapter 1 where he says, for, for prayer to happen, we must lay before God what is actually in us, not what we think ought to be in us. Right, to, to grow in prayer, we have to, we have to come to think of prayer as, as a place of starting as we can, where we can, where we actually are, and assuming that God actually wants to meet us there. I have a, a, another friend who, who talks about God being so real, he only can meet us in reality. God isn't interested in meeting us you know, where we think we're supposed to be. God wants to meet us where we are in this current moment. And so if, if we're going to cultivate a life of prayer that starts there, we, we need a vision of prayer that's less abstract and more immediate. Prayer has to be something that any one of us could do at any time, regardless of our circumstances. And so if, if we're going to cultivate that, that kind of school of prayer, then we need a teacher. We need someone who can give us an example. And, and if we're looking for that person in Scripture, my money is on Moses um, for all sorts of reasons. But I think Moses, maybe almost out of anyone that I can think of in Scripture, has this kind of pray-as-you-can mentality. He's someone, I think, with a remarkable prayer life. But, but we know that, that Moses, we're, we attribute the, the first five books of, of the Bible, the Torah, to Moses. And, and through those five books, 
the, the book of Exodus in particular tells much of his own story and I think helps let us into how Moses sort of stumbled into a life of prayer, a life of deep connection with the living God. And that, that story actually starts in an unlikely place. We're told in, in Exodus 1 and 2 that Moses was born as a, a male Hebrew baby. He was born into a world where he couldn't exist or shouldn't exist. Right? The, the Pharaoh's edict was that every male Hebrew child was to be drowned in the Nile River. But due to some incredible, uh, miraculous circumstances, Moses was delivered from that, that sentence of death. And he sort of came in the back door of Pharaoh's palace. And he was raised uh, in the Egyptian royal courts. And so I, I can imagine that probably Moses' first exposure to prayer would have been the way the Egyptians prayed. And if you, you know, dig up some, uh, you know, archaeological discoveries and, and Egyptology, you'll know that, that the Egyptians were a praying people. But most of their prayers involved some pretty elaborate, uh, you know, sets of accessories and tools and, and um, rituals. Egyptian prayer was largely offered in these incredible temples that they built. It was offered by priestly class who, who needed to be instructed in the, the ways of prayer. And most of the prayers that were offered were, were directed toward the gods of Egypt in, in desire that they would preserve and, and sort of undergird, undergird the, the strong arm of Pharaoh's rule, right? to keep Pharaoh's house in a place of power. And so I think Moses probably started out his life seeing prayer as, as something that required quite a bit of, of knowledge and know-how, sophistication. And I don't know whether Moses was, was involved in those, those um, rituals or not. But there came a time in Moses' life as a young man, Exodus 2 records, that Moses discovers a very different kind of praying taking place just outside the walls of Pharaoh's household. And it came not from Pharaoh's officials and priests, but it came from the Hebrew slaves and servants that were, were building the empire Pharaoh desired for himself. Right? It was built upon their backs. In Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, Moses records how these Hebrew people prayed. It says, the Israelites groaned out in their slavery and cried out to God, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites, and he was concerned about them. The best way Moses can describe the praying life of, of his own people, the Hebrew people, is to call their praying groaning, right? Guttural utterances, right? Primitive sounds of distress. The Israelites didn't have any fancy temples to pray in, right? They were building Pharaoh's temples. 
They didn't have times set aside to pray because Pharaoh required them to work seven days a week. Their prayers then had to be different in both form and in content from the prayers of the Egyptian royal household. But what these Hebrew slaves learned to do was to pray as they could. To pray from the place they found themselves in. And and to earnestly lay before God what was in them. By crying out, Moses says. In the midst of their oppression, to utter loud groans. To bring themselves before God in that way. And I wonder whether we've ever thought of groaning as a valid form of prayer. Maybe we assume we have to have the language to put to the things we desire to bring to God. But I think these verses tell us that that groaning from a a place of pain or a place place of hurt in our own life is also a way take that step of of reaching out toward God in prayer. Expressing a longing for God to see us and know us in those places. Maybe it's not so much a place of woundedness or hurt. Maybe it's just a, a place of deep longing in our lives that we're not even sure how to give full expression to. A longing for something to be different, to be better, to, to be more whole, more alive in us. Scripture says God allows us to bring those unformed, imperfect, not fully shaped prayers as groans to him. What's more than that, verse 25 says not only does God have the ability to interpret and understand these groaning kinds of prayers, but God is especially moved by them. He hears them and responds. And in the the mystery of who God is, it says that these groaning prayers of the Hebrew people lit a fire. It lit a fire of God's concern for them. But the fire was not kindled in the the slave camps of Goshen, where the, the Pharaoh's temples were being built. I think Exodus tells us that the answer to their prayers in a roundabout way was the lighting of a bush on fire a few hundred miles away out in the Midian desert. Told that Moses, who had now fled from his life in Pharaoh's household, he had taken up a a reclusive life as a shepherd in the desert. One day he's going about his ordinary, everyday life as a shepherd alone when he comes across this bush that will not be consumed. Look at Exodus 3, verses 3 through 7. It says, when, when Moses saw the bush, he thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush doesn't burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. 
Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. It's interesting. There's no temple there. Just the place of of Moses' everyday travels. Verse 6, then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. But the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. God says, I have heard, I have seen, I am concerned about my people who were praying as they knew how, praying as they could. And I like to to think of this moment as the beginning of Moses' own prayer life. Moses has has no clue what he's just walked into. He doesn't know what the voice in in the bush wants from him. He doesn't know the voice's name yet, even. In fact, verse 6 says, Moses is so insecure in this first moment of discovery that he hides his face from God. Right? If, If you want to know how... Maybe the greatest prophet in the Old Testament learns to pray. He, he learns to pray like this, right? His face turned away, fearful. But he prays as he could. At the end of verse 4, though, I think we're told something that will define Moses' prayer life for years to come. That Moses, in spite of, of all the sort of insecurity and uncertainty in mystery of this moment, Moses chooses to say, here I am. That's how he comes to prayer. Here I am, and then sort of attached by implication to that question is, here I am, who are you? Who is this voice reaching out to me, seeking relationship with me? Into Moses' offer of here I am, the Lord says, here I am, right? Who, I'm, who am I? I am who I am, the Lord says. He gives him his name. For the first time in Scripture, God reveals himself in this intimate way to Moses. He says, I'm, I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I'm the God of, of all your brothers and sisters back in Egypt in oppression, right? I am who I am, which I think is God's way of saying, come see, come discover what I am like. And if we read the rest of that encounter in chapter 3 that we don't have time for this morning, if you were to read the next 30 chapters in Exodus, there's all kinds of back and forth in this relationship. There are are moments of despair, moments where God despairs of Moses, moments where Moses despairs of God and and, and the promises that he doesn't seem to be keeping. There are moments of elation and, and deliverance and victory. There are some pretty heated arguments that go on between Moses and God. But the one thing Moses keeps doing again and again is bringing himself to God 
in probably the most honest way I can think of, and asking God to reveal a little more of himself. Right? Moses, maybe the only person in Scripture who was bold enough to say, God, show me. Show me who you are. Show me your glory. And God honors that prayer. Right? Moses doesn't have a sophistication around his prayer life, but he has this here I am, pray as you can, instinct guiding him. I think if, if we're thinking about how we might begin to, to grow in our own prayer life, those are three words that I think any of us could pray at any time. Right? Here, here I am, God. What are you like? Show yourself to me. This is where I'm at. That's how Moses' life of prayer begins. But I want to finish this morning in Exodus 33. So fast forward through quite a bit of the story. Moses is camped at Mount Sinai with the people, uh, the Israelite people. And here we see this here I am kind of prayer philosophy developed into a habit, a practice of Moses's in a, in a more concrete way. It's also, I think, one of the most amazing descriptions of prayer in all of Scripture. Moses uh, records it here in chapter 33, verses 7 through 11. I'm just going to give you the highlights. It says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away. And he called it the tent of meeting. So anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud, which is a sign of God's presence, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks with a friend. What I think is amazing about this image is both it's incredibly simple. It's a tent. Yeah, it's kind of like a house. It's simple, but it's also the, the picture of God and, and the relationship he has with Moses is probably sort of mind-blowing for most of us, right, in, in, in the, the kind of glory that's represented there. Moses became such a proponent of this sort of pray-as-you-can approach, come to God as you are, school of prayer, and that he actually decides to, to put up a tent dedicated to that practice, right? He goes to the, the Sinai uh, location of REI. He picks out a good tent, right, to keep out the, the sun and the sand, and he, he puts the tent at the edge of the wilderness camp there, and he says, not just me, but anyone who needs to inquire, anyone who wants to meet with, anyone who wants to come into the presence of God, here's a place set aside to do that very thing. Verse 7 says it's available to anyone. But it says that Moses developed a special love for this tent. Right? He, he had a habit of going there. And the passage says that when he was on his way there, the, the whole camp would pay attention. They would watch. They wanted to see this habit Moses had created, had, had cultivated in his relationship with God. Because 
here was the place where, where the guy who started out praying to God like this says now he sat in the presence of God face to face. And it was, it was where a God who was unknown, he didn't even know his name back in chapter 3 at the burning bush. Now that God speaks with Moses like his closest friend. Right? They have this, this connection, this intimacy. And actually the, the next chapter is, is where they get into things. Right? They get into some arguments together because of that friendship and closeness. But I wonder what it would be like to cultivate a prayer life like that one. All right, what, what if that's not just reserved for prophets or monks or, or people who retreat to the desert? But what if, if God actually desires some measure of that with us too? All right, would you desire to have a life of prayer like that? I think if, if that is a desire we have, then, then the road that gets us there, the, the way we move in that direction, is starting with that here I am philosophy. Right? Starting to, to pray as we're able, pray as we can. Pray prayers that invite God to tell us his name, tell us what he's like. Prayers that happen in the middle of our everyday work habits, workplaces. Even prayers that we don't know how to pray in any other way but to groan them in God's presence. So my, my invitation this week is not for you to pray in any particular way. It's not to pray in some new technique, but rather to encourage you to pray as you can. Right? Find ways to bring to God whatever is in you. Right now, maybe that's joy, maybe that's anxiety, maybe that's anger, maybe that's fear, maybe that's pain, maybe that's an uncertainty that God's even listening on the other end. Maybe that's deep gratitude. So pray whatever is actually in you, and pray it in whatever way you know how. Right? Pray it when you wake up in the morning, or pray it while you're driving to work, or pray for five minutes between phone calls and emails. Or pray while you're walking the dog before bed. Pray whatever is in you and whatever way you know how. As, as Tyler Staten puts it at the end of chapter one, prayer is not about technique. Prayer is a place of relational discovery with God. And so my encouragement would be to see if you can spend five minutes discovering that relationship each day this week. Let me pray for us as we, we undertake um, those first steps together. Jesus, would you guide us? Um, would you increase our desire? Would you give us an adequate, a more adequate conception of, of what is available to us in relationship with you, in being known by you, and beginning to know more of what you are like? Grow within us this life of prayer. In your name we pray. Amen.